You're listening to the Harbor Worship Center podcast with Pastor Mike Saint. For more information about the Harbor Worship Center, please visit us at harborwc.com. Enjoy today's message. There's a, a saying that, that says getting saved will fix all of life's problems. All you need to do is just give your heart to Jesus, they say, and then everything's going to be all right. That's not altogether true, but, 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 but let me just say this, because in the Mythbuster series, we normally, uh, we, we either confirm a myth, or we bust that myth, or we say that, well, it is at least plausible. In other words, it possibly could happen. So, last week, uh, uh, Josh debunked the myth about your past defining you, because it just don't do it. That's all there is to it. So in the Mythbusters, we expose lies and reveal the truth. That's what the TV show is about, exposing the lies. And that's what I want to do today. I'm going to expose some lies, and it'll probably make some people mad. And uh, then uh, I want to reveal the truth, and I hope that makes some people glad. But if it don't, then that's okay anyway, because I don't want my ears to be tickled by the doctor. I want him to tell me exactly what the deal is with my body so I know how to, uh, to act. Are y'all with me? Say amen. I would rather somebody tell me the truth. So let me first of all define what a myth is. A myth is a widely held but false belief. Look at your neighbor and say, a myth is a widely held but false belief. Um, now, a good example, and I'm going to really get this thing started because I'm going to I'm, I'm get everybody riled up and ready to talk to me right after church to get me straight. With my very first illustration, but I'm known for such doing, so I'm going to do it anyway. Halloween is right around the corner, and the kids are going to load up. Now, whether you celebrate the Halloween, the goons and the Googles, or all that foolishness, or, or whether it's just fun for, you know, whatever you're doing, I'm not here to discuss that, but they're going to load up on sugar. And I bet that many of you parents out there have said, or you're going to say, I just hate Halloween because my kids are so hyper because they're just loaded up with sugar. And the truth of the matter is, that myth has been debunked. Oh no, I'm going to get the pastor right now. You wait. Sugar makes kids hyper is what they said. Lots of parents swear that a single hit of a birthday cake holds the power to morph their well-behaved child, uh, a polite youngster, into a sticky hot mess that careens around the room emitting eardrum-piercing shrieks. Anyone who's had the pleasure of attending a five-year-old's birthday party knows the hypothesis sounds reasonable, except that science has found that there's no link between the two. Oh, wait a minute, Pastor. I've got the documentation. Sugar doesn't, listen, sugar does not change kids' behavior. A double blind, in other words, the kids didn't know, nor did the parents know who had sugar and who had placebo. Y'all with me? Say amen. A double blind research study found by Stanford University way back in 1994 that a sugary diet did not affect the behavior nor the cognitive skills. The researchers report sugar does change one important thing. Though the, it, it changes the parents' expectations of how the child's going to act. It's almost like the word of God is true. As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. 
Y'all with me? Well, let me go on. After hearing that their children had just consumed a big sugar fix, parents were more likely to say that their child was hyperactive even when the big sugar fix was placebo. Another study found that to be true. Of course, now there are plenty of good reasons that you don't need to feed them a pile of sugar. I mean, the dentist will tell you, the ADA, you know, you don't need to give them a whole bunch of sugar, but it had not anything to do with their hyperactivity. I mean, maybe your dental bill, but... Um, so does sugar make them hyperactive? To the surprise of many, uh, and particularly parents gearing up for Halloween night, the answer is absolutely no. The large body of scientific evidence debunks the notion of a cause and effect relationship between sugar consumption and children's hyperactivity. So what's actually going on? The San Francisco Chronicle interviewed a Stanford nutritional expert today, Dr. Tom Robinson, uh, the director of the hospital there at Stanford, explains that so many parents, and thus children, expect that eating sweets will make them hyper so it therefore becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy but the myth has been debunked are y'all with me say amen so that's just one example now there's a there's a lot of other examples of myths that has been debunked like a penny falling from the empire state building killing somebody if it hit them in the head it won't do it, it ain't gonna do it I don't have time to tell you all the science. I'm just telling you. Look it up. It ain't going to do it. Um, then there are those that purport. Watch this. Here's where we're going today. There are those that purport and say that getting saved will fix all of life's ills. They might even say that getting saved and joining the harbor will fix all of life's ills. When you say, come to Jesus, just give your heart to Him and there'll be no more worries and you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Some go so far as to pervert the gospel into a laundry list of name it and claim it wants, and thus telling their parishioners anything they want to hear to keep them coming and giving. We don't come to God for what we can get out of God, materially speaking. That is what Satan accused Job of. He says, does Job serve God for naught or for nothing? He said, you know that you've put your hedge of protection around about Job and you've blessed him with camels and donkeys and uh, asses and on and on and on. You've blessed him with all of these things, but you take away these things and he'll curse you. God said, well... That's how you feel about it. Go ahead and try him. And then it didn't work. Took away all of his assets and all of his money and all of his status. And the devil come back and said, well, I'll tell you what. If you'll let me touch his body to where he's itching and bleeding and oozing, he'll curse you to your face. He tried that. He sat in sackcloth and ash. And it did not work. Are you hearing me say amen? So, but there are those... Uh, who have said when you get saved, your boat's coming in. That's the prosperity gospel, and it is a lie out of the pits of hell. Ooh, I'm going to stir up some preachers. I'm going to get some hate mail this week. I know it. But listen, I don't want you to sit here for 30 years and then say, well, pastor, my boat never came in. I went down looking for it every day. I never got rich. I, I had diabetes. I had arthritis. I had this. I had that. What kind of God is that that we pray and we pray and we pray and pray? Because we believe wrongly. In other words, our belief system is not consistent with reality. So I, I, I'm just trying to show you we're going to look at this myth that getting saved fixes all the ills of life, and I submit to you that it does not. And I, I want to lay it out if I may. Lies exposed 
And that's what so many have done. They have lied. They have said, if you'll just plant this little bit. And listen, I'm not denying the law of reciprocity. Give and it shall be given. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. But so many people, ministers included, have taken that so far out of context to pad the pockets of people that are doing foolish things with God's money. We do not come to God for what we can get out of Him materially speaking. Here's what I want you to know. That here it is, if you don't get anything else. Becoming a Christian will not fix all of life's problems. I became a Christian as a junior in high school. And it did not fix all my woes. My family was still poor. I still lived in the ghetto. You say, well, yeah, the projects. The government projects. 403E Wilson Apartments, Columbus, Georgia. If you're familiar with it, go down there. The projects. I still was poor. I still lived in the projects. I still had raggedy shoes. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I was saved. I was on my way to heaven, but I, I still had problems. I got fired from my job at the grocery store. I was a stock clerk. I was doing what I thought was right. I stood up for what I thought was right. Five of us walked out, went to Preacher Goolsby's office, shared with him what was going on at the store. We all agreed together that if they fired either of us, the others would walk out. I was the first to go. And only Jesus walked with me. I told those guys, I said, you are liars. We agreed together when we walked out and went across town and sat in his office that if they fired one of us, we would all walk out. Nobody walked with me. But one per week they fired. You know what? All they did was gave them time to get somebody else. One per week for five weeks, and there we were. We were gone. What I'm saying is that I got fired. I had problems, and I was saved. My dad got me a great job in the cotton mill. Now, you know, in Columbus in that day, now you got to understand, now when I was stocking groceries, I was making three thirty-five an hour. That's some big money right there. three thirty-five an hour, and so I got on at the cotton mill, and I will never forget, I was so excited because I got hired into the spinning room where they spin cotton, you know, from, from uh, uh, roving down to thread and put it on bobbins and all that stuff. $5.14 an hour, man, I'm in the big time. Are y'all hearing me? This is like 1983. So I, I, I'm up in the high rolling, you know, right there with Donald Trump and all this. And, uh, uh, but I'm about to get married now right after high school. My, my supervisor comes to me one day and he said, Mike, I got some bad news for you and I got some, some not so bad news for you. I said, well, tell me the bad news. He said, well, the bad news is this. Natty, the lady whose job you got that went up to the fourth floor to open in spinning, she has 90 days to bump back and take her job back if she don't like that one up there and she don't like that one, so she's going to come back and take this one. That means you've got to either go to yard maintenance at 484 an hour or go to the gate, and it's your choice. I said, well, I'm getting married in a few weeks. I've got to go, I go to yard maintenance and cut some trees, cut some grass and rake some yards. Are y'all hearing me? What I'm saying is I was saved. It wasn't fixing the ills of my life. I was still working for $5.14, now $4.84, and now things are looking bad, and where's God? Are y'all hearing me? I'm saying when I knelt in an altar at First Assembly of God in Phoenix City, Alabama, and gave my heart to the Lord as Charlie Fowler held me over the coals of hell, I'll never forget it. 
I kind of thought everything would be done with, and man, I'd be walking on clouds the rest of my life. And I found out that serving God does not fix all the ills of life. Well, let me go a little step further before we dip into the meat of this. Not long after that, nine months later, I went down. I didn't tell my wife, and this was stupid, and I don't recommend it. I took her to work one day, dropped her off. She was an insurance secretary. I left and went to the Air Force recruit, no, the Army recruiter's office. I had four years of Army ROTC. I walked in. He was not there. He was gone to lunch. A guy in some dress blues walked out and said, Who are you looking for, son? I said, I'm looking for the Army recruiter. He said, Ah, you don't want to join no Army. He said, uh, uh, why don't you talk to me about the Air Force? I said, well, I've got four years of Army ROTC. I go in as E3. He said, what if I told you we would honor that? You could come into the Air Force. We're more family-oriented, da-da-da-da-da-da. Next thing you know, I've took the ASVAB test. I've signed up, got a ship date, the whole nine yards. I went home and told Kelly I joined the Air Force today. She said, you what? Well, she didn't say it quite that nice, but... So... I had what they call proficiency advancement. That means I had four years of, of Army ROTC. I was very versed in, in you know, the maneuvers and all these things. And so that meant you had PA status, proficiency advancement. That meant when I went to Lackland Air Force Base, uh, I could take the boot camp test. I didn't know I had to take it on the eighth day of boot camp. And I could only stay three weeks instead of six weeks. And boy, wouldn't that be grand. You know what? I was saved. I loved God. I had packed my big blue Bible with me and read it by the light of an exit sign at night. Are you hearing me? I done all that. And you know what? I scored on that final boot camp test on the eighth day. Everybody else had the whole month or a month and a half, six weeks. I scored a 69. You know how much you had to score? 70. The training instructor, drill sergeant, looked at me and said, Sings! <laughs> and his smoky bear hat. Right on my eyebrow. Looks like you get to stay here with the rest of us. For the rest of the time. You know. And I was saved. But it didn't fix the ills of life. I had to go home and call, I had to go and call Kelly and say, you know what? A little bit of setback right here. You know, I, I got to stay the whole time. Are you with me? Say amen. So it's important for you to understand that Getting saved did not fix all the ills in my life. And I'll bet you, if I would ask you to show me your hands, getting saved has not fixed all the ills in your life. Let me, let me help you make sense out of that. I would bet you that there's some of you sitting right here now that says, Pastor, I'm saved. But I've gone through some of the deepest, darkest valleys. And I don't know how I'm going to get through it. I've seen some of the hardest days of my life, the longest days I thought would never end. I've experienced some pain beyond description, incredible uh, deception, uh, hurtful, painful friendships. Listen, the myth that getting saved will fix all of life's problems may work for a snake oil salesman. It may work for some slick silver tongue, tell them what they want to hear evangelist. But the truth is that God never said it was going to be easy. God never said name it, claim it, and frame it. God never intended us to use the book to be a Christmas laundry list of all the things God's going to do for us. 
Well, let me go a little further with this. You've got to understand why the truth is that, that getting saved does not fix life's problems because if you don't understand that, you're going to live a life of letdown. You're going to live a life of defeat, a life of shattered dreams and shattered hope. Without understanding the truth, you're going to live in constant state of I wonder where God's at and why don't He hear me and why don't He help me? Until one day you're going to look in a mirror and say, I've served him all these years. Why do I even bother? Why do I live? Why do I go on believing until one day you look in that mirror and say, this ain't for me anymore. And you throw in the white towel and say, you know what? I'm done. Uh, you know, I've had people tell me, Pastor, I've come to your church. I've paid tithe. I've done this. I've done that. I've done the other. And let me, tell, let me say this to you. They were trying God for all the wrong reasons. I'm not trying out God to, you know, like a credit counseling agency to get me a better cash flow at the end of the month. I'm not trying out God to get me a new vehicle. I'm not trying out God in the church to get me a new girl or a new instrument. I, you know what? When, when I got godly sorry for what I'm doing, it's about a brand new relationship. And let me say, this is just a staging area. Eternity is where it's really at. So, here's what I need you to do. When it comes to the myth that getting saved fixes all the ills of life, I just want to review a couple Bible stories. I don't have much time, but I want to hit a few so that I might debunk the myth. So bear with me. When I look at the Bible, I want to ask the question, do, do the lives of the Bible characters... Look, anything like the myth and the prosperity preacher would have you to know today. Does the lives of Bible characters look anything like that? The name it, the claim it, the frame it, and here it is, and there's no problems, and I'm healthy, and I'm wealthy, and I'm wise. When I look at the Bible, I find men and women who got saved, yet still had to deal with problems. I find the widow woman whose preacher, who, who's, who her husband was a prophet, he died owing money. And the prophet Elisha had to say, go borrow some jars of oil. Uh, go borrow some jars. Borrow some vessels. Don't get just a few, but get all you need. He said, get yourself and your boys inside that room. Shut the door. Put all the doubt outside. And start pouring that oil that you do have. Using what you do have. And they poured till every jar was full. I'm simply saying she still had problems. They were coming to get her boys. Yet she was saved. And her husband was a great man of God that died serving God. I think about the problem... Peter had with paying his taxes. He had an issue. The Lord told him to go fishing, and you know the story. I think about the children of Israel who led God's children, uh, I mean, who was led by God through the wilderness. They had problems. I look at the life of Paul. He was doing pretty good for himself until he got saved. Are y'all with me? Say amen. He was doing pretty good until he got saved. He, he had made it to being at a high echelon in the government. He spoke several languages. He, he was appointed by the state. He was an awesome man, if you will. And then he got saved. The Bible says this after he got saved on the Damascus Road. The Lord said to Ananias, Go 
to Damascus to the street that is called Straight and inquire of one soul of Tarsus. And I want you to talk to him. I want you to lay your hands on him that he might receive his sight and that not only physically but spiritually. Why? I want you to show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now that don't sound like the name it and claim it and God fixed everything because he got saved on the Damascus Road. That don't sound like God sent Ananias to tell him the new Lincoln Continental was coming. It don't sound like God was telling him that you're going to have a nice, uh, beautiful condo overlooking the water and a $67 million jet. Oh. Or whatever. So, the name it and claim it, uh, a Greek word for it, balonis. <laughs> And then I think of another man by the name of, um, thank you. I think of a man by the name of Joseph, son of Jacob. Obviously he had his problems. His brothers were so envious that they were willing to kill him. They threw him in a pit, left him to die. But Reuben came back for him. He was then sold to the band of Ishmaelites. He was headed back to Egypt. He's carried away. Watch it. He is, listen, because he's doing something godly. He's, he has a relationship with God. He spends 20 years. Years estranged from his family. His daddy cries himself to sleep every night looking at a bloody coat of many colors that his own sons, his other boys, dipped in a goat's blood and said, Daddy, this is Joseph's. A wild beast has ripped him to pieces. They watched their daddy cry himself to sleep night after night after night knowing that they sold him to Egypt. But Joseph loved God. His daddy loved God. What I'm, I'm trying to show you and debunk the myth that just because we love God, that does not fix every problem in our life. Matter of fact, I would go so far to say that serving God oftentimes intensifies the problems in our life. I know somebody just bumped their neighbor and said, we're going to find us another church next week. God bless you. It's been good. But I, I'm charged to tell the truth, whether you like it or not. Whether I like it or not. So, Joseph estranged from his family. He's attacked by his brothers. He's then brought to Potiphar's house and God gives him favor. And then Potiphar's wife is this beautiful thing, young thing. And she throws herself on him because her husband's working all the time and all that. And I don't know if he was paying her the attention he should have. But nonetheless, she got the hots for Joseph. She throwed herself at him and he did the manly thing. He ran away. Literally, he did. He did not entertain. He said, I cannot do this with my master's wife. She got fed up after asking him again and again and again to sleep with her. That finally she grabbed his shirt one day and ripped it. When her husband Potiphar got home, she said, look what that Hebrew slave, look, look, look what that boy that you've brought into this house. Isn't that the way the devil does? He takes somebody that's doing all kind of foolishness himself, and then they point at somebody else and blame it on them. Ooh, that was free. And then uh, he said, look, look, look what he did. He's tried to have his way with me. So Potiphar has him put in prison. He's in a dungeon now for two years. Two years he's in prison. He was saved. He loved God. While he was in prison, he interpreted dreams. I mean, he loved God. So there are those people that come to me and they talk to me, well, pastor, things are going so God must just hate me. Things are bad in my life. Let me tell you this. Nobody said it was going to be easy. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me.
Um, let me say this as I go further. Uh, where's God in all of this? I thought that getting saved and serving God would fix the problems. But no, he spends time in prison. He spends time in a pit for things that he did not commit. But in the end, he finally revealed himself to his brothers. And he says, I am Joseph who you sold. I'm Joseph, the one that you lied to daddy about. I'm his boy. I'm your brother. And they were scared to death that he was going to have them killed. He had to leave the room because he was weeping so hard. He come back and he fell around their necks and loved on them. He said, you intended this to harm me. But God intended this for my good to save many people alive. Nobody said it was going to be easy. I want you to think about the disciples, would you? How many of them were there? Twelve. How many betrayed Jesus? Well, Judas, they all did at one point. But Judas betrayed him with the 30 pieces of silver. Let me tell you this. How many of those disciples died of natural causes? One. John the Beloved. The rest of them were martyred. Some of them were speared to death. Some of them were flayed alive. Some of them were boiled in oil. Listen to me. Some of them were hooked to horses uh, from the upper torso and the lower and sewn in half. Some were burned at the stake. Oh, I thought everything was supposed to be right when I accepted Jesus. I believe the myth is starting to go away. Think about it. Meeting Jesus will fix all my problems. I want to tell you, meeting Jesus sometimes brings on some problems. Hang on, we're going to get there. But when this life is over. <laughs> oh, listen to me. Um, and the enemy has danced his last dance. And the enemy has shouted his last shout. And the enemy has done all that he can do. The trumpet of the Lord is going to sound. The dead in Christ are going to rise. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. I want to tell you, this few years we spend on this earth, whether it be 40, 60, 70, 90 years, or 100, it is just a grain of sand on the beach compared to eternity. Are you hearing me? You and I, when God breathed life into man's nostrils and man become a living soul, we would live somewhere forever. Let me read what Job said. Job 19, he said, Oh, that my words were written. Some of you remember. Some of you remember how Job went through such a hardship, such a trial. He looked where God was at and he couldn't find him. He said, I've looked where he works and I can't find him. He said, oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. That they were engraved upon a rock with an iron pen and in lead forever. What's this? What's this? After all his friends had walked out on him. After his wife said, curse God and die. After ten children had had their funeral. After all the animals were gone, after all of his reputation and his prestige was gone, he sat in sackcloth and ashes and said, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on this earth. And after my skin has been destroyed with these worms, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold him and not another. Who said it was going to be easy? Who 
said it was going to be name it and claim it? Who said get saved and you're going to high step and get every promotion and get everything you ever wanted? Nobody said it. Some silver tongue preacher said to you, well, you can just have everything you want as long as you keep on giving, keep on coming. Lies. I'm not saying that God don't want us to prosper. I'm not saying that God wants you to live every day in hurt and bitter anger, toil and grief. I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying it is part of the journey. There was times when great men of God stood in great places. Oh, Elijah called fire down from heaven on Mount Carmel and oh, what a beautiful thing. I'll never forget when he, he had Elijah with him and he walked back to the Jordan and he looked and saw the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof and the Lord whisked him away to glory. Oh, what a beautiful day. But I also remember the, the, the broom bush, the juniper tree, a day's journey in the wilderness where he sat there and begged God to kill him. I think about Jonah when he sat under a gourd and said, Oh God, kill me! Let me say this, friend. In this life, there's going to be trials. There's going to be afflictions. I want to take you just a few places, and then Adam's going to sing a song. And that's how we'll close. The psalmist penned these words in 43 and 19 of the psalms. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers them out of them all. 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought good to let, be left in Athens alone. We sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you, he's talking to the Thessalonians, and to encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should soon be shaken by these afflictions. For you know yourselves that we were appointed unto this. For in fact, we told you that when we were there, that we would suffer tribulation I don't want you to have any false pretense false hopes I don't want you to look through rose colored glasses about serving the Lord I don't want you to look through rose colored glasses about coming to the volunteer fair and signing on well I signed up to serve the Lord everything will be hunky dory let me tell you what will really happen you'll be excited about doing it and then one day the devil will jump on your shoulders and you'll disagree with somebody serving alongside you. And then the devil will try to tell you, I told you you shouldn't have signed up or nothing like that. He's a liar and the father of lies. Listen, we are people and there will be disagreements till Jesus comes. We talk through it, we work through it, and we go on. Amen. Give him praise. Paul wrote, but what things were gained to me. Y'all hear this now. I want you to get this. But what things were gained to me, these things I counted for loss. Yet indeed I also count them for loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them things as rubbish that I might win Christ. And that I might be found in Him and not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection. Hold on, part B. And the fellowship of His sufferings. 
I know y'all didn't want part B. But he said, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. I also want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. I think about John the Baptist. Why did John have to die? I really can't answer that. It seemed like the old devil won. But I'm going to tell you this. When the guillotine came down and John's head rolled off his shoulders, before his head hit the basket, he woke up in the arms of the Lord. For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It is the spirit that makes the body alive. And when we die, the body goes back to the ground from which it came. And the spirit returns to God from which it came. And when, when the rapture takes place, the body meets up with the spirit again. I'm, try, I'm trying to land this thing, I promise you, but just give me a second. When I think about Hebrews, I think about Hebrews, the hall of fame of the faith heroes. Here's what the Bible said in verse 32 of 11, chapter 11. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. These were judges of Israel. And also David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms and worked righteousness and obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the violence of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness they were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of aliens. Women received their dead back to life again. What's this? Others were tortured. Not accepting deliverance. That they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sown in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute and afflicted and tormented, of whom the world is not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in dens and in caves in the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. See, the promise was Jesus was coming. They embraced the promise, but they never got to live to see it. They died in faith, holding on to a promise that they had only by faith. Are y'all hearing me? Oh my goodness, get ready now. Here's what I want you to understand. God never said it was going to be easy. But you've got to understand this. Here's why you need to know. Here, here's why you need to look at biblical models and biblical examples. I've showed you enough biblical example right now to let you know that it is unbiblical to think that getting saved fixes all the ills of, of life. Because we don't have a biblical precedent to support that. Not even the life of Jesus himself. He had problems. They chased after him. They hunted him down like a dog. They crucified him. All these things, when we look at the word of God, it's going to help us get a proper perspective of what Christian life looks like. Therefore, you don't live in some cartoon reality that Christians are living in a plastic bubble with pure oxygen and pure blessings and pure advancement in life and everything's hunky-dory. We just sort of float like on a breeze. That's a myth that has been debunked. In this life, you will have tribulation. I wanna, here's how I want you to remember this. 
I want you to stand with me. I'm going to ask Adam to sing a song. Here's what I want you to know. He's going to sing this song in its entirety. And these altars are open. And what I want you to understand is this. Nobody said every day was going to be an easy day. Nobody said that there wasn't going to be judgments against you. That somebody wasn't going to open their foul mouth against you. That somebody wasn't going to malign you. That somebody wasn't going to upset you. It's part of it, friend. And let me say this. You and I are no better than our Lord Jesus Christ. They lied on Him. They spat on Him. They slapped Him. They mocked Him. They scourged Him. And we're no better. Hear this song if you would. So many times I've questioned circumstances Things I could not understand Times and trials This blurs my vision to where nothing bothers us anymore. So now, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed and some of you are struggling in that valley of decision, I'm going to ask him to sing that one more time. And as he does, if that's you, I just want you to make your way and just walk right on down here. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at harborwc.com.